it's about preserving the history, it's about preserving the tradition, uh, it's about preserving what's precious to those of us who are, uh, you know, dare I say Francophiles or, you know, Louisiana files, if you will. We just really appreciate just the, the rich history behind it and what it took to get to that cup of coffee. Hi there, food enthusiasts. My name is Chris Srechkowski, your host again today for the Future Foodcast, where we talk with thought leaders in today's food industry and discuss the trends and technologies that will shape the future of food. Very excited today to be speaking with Bert Dumas, the owner of Maison Bertrand in New Orleans. Is that correct? That is correct. Excellent. Welcome to the program today. Thanks Excellent. for having me. Seriously, thank you. Well, we're going to get deep into... Uh, your current business and all the aspects around that and sustainability, et cetera. But before we get there, tell us your background. Tell us where you came from and what brought you up to owning Maison Bertrand. Well, you know, I, again, it was totally by, by happenstance. Food is innate within me. I, I grew up in New Orleans, Louisiana. Food wasn't the first choice on the list of professions and careers, it, it ended up being that way. And, and I've matriculated through hotels and restaurants and, you know, secondary schools and recreationally teaching and all kinds of things, you know. Uh, I, I ended up hearing about uh, this old coffee company that was uh, kind of on downslope and, you know, needed some revitalization and with a rebranding just to kind of bring it up to speed uh, in the modern era. Uh, it was founded in 1931 as uh, the Monogram Coffee Company. And my team and I sat down and said, hey, can we do this? You know, is this something that's realistic? And, you know, ultimately we, we agreed that it was. And so we purchased the company and here we are today. We rebranded as Maison Bertrand. You know, we added a few things to it, tried to keep as uh, close to the original, you know, recipe and formula that we could. Uh, and, you know, we kind of added a few things that I'm sure we'll get into. You know, we, we've tried to keep it honestly Louisiana. Uh, and Excellent. That's, that's, that's so you, you found this business opportunity, basically brought with you your excellent baggage of experience in working in a range of other places. I understand you also were running or maybe owned a bakery uh, a yeah. bit north and for bringing to the coffee company the baking skills that you uh, have developed. Is that correct? That is correct. So I, I am a formally trained pastry chef, you know, not only have we brought, uh, you know, those skills, there's a lot of mistakes that happen too, you know, and <laughs> we just kind of roll with the punches and uh, again, just try to keep and stay relevant. You know, it is, it's a tough deal, uh, especially, you know, this day and age with so many things that needs to be touched on, uh, mm -hmm. you know, thoughtfulness that needs to go into business, but here we are and we're doing yep. it. Yep. Well, uh, congratulations on this journey and that Thank has you. brought you to Maison Bertrand. Tell us a bit more about the current business and what you're doing there. So, uh, as I said before, we're, we're, we rebranded. So we stuck with the coffee, uh, of course, because, you know, that's been around oh, 90 years, going on 91 now, uh, even longer than that from our historical research. I mean, they were only formally founded in 1931, but we're finding uh, documents and newspaper articles and things like that show that they've been doing the coffee since, I wanna say as early as 1924. And so we consider ourselves part of the big four in Louisiana and the big four meaning the four top brands that you know people recognize uh, when it comes to coffee and chicory. 
right? Mm -hmm. uh, or traditional Louisiana coffee. We call it just coffee, but everybody else calls it coffee and chicory, you know? <laughs> so, um, but yeah, we, we kept the coffee. We added uh, other products to the family, pralines, which is like a pecan candy in America and particularly in Louisiana, because anywhere else around the world, when you say praline, you know, they think of almond, uh, you know, and almond and butter and sugar and things like that. But for us, it's pecans and, you know, mixed in with the butter and the sugar and mm -hmm. cream and all that. Uh, we've also added candy pecans because, you know, pecans is like Louisiana gold. You know, you, you, <laughs> we, we have them in a plethora, you know, of, of uh, varieties. And, uh, you know, I want to say short of Georgia, we're probably the second largest pecan producer, you know, in the nations. Uh, you know, we, we've been trying to keep that alive. We've added, um, we're, we're going to start trying to add some variation to the coffee. Not much because we don't want to, you know, extend ourselves too much and get away from, you know, our brand. But, you know, maybe offering, uh, you know, like a light blend uh, or medium blend. A lot of people tend to, you have to be a specific kind of person to really enjoy, you know, the, the French roast, i.e. dark roast, you know, that we do. But we love it. And, and those who know it love it, too. So we're just, again, we're trying to stay humble and uh, trying to stay on a mission. Yeah. Well, it looks like it's being successful with uh, being in the top five or fewer of known name brands. So again, con congratulations on that success. And Thanks. one of the one of the things that we talk about a lot in this program are concepts of sustainability, which mm -hmm. means many different things to different people. Um, and typically, I would say more commonly, people think about sustainability and environment, and at least in the food chain of food production. And, and I think you're, my understanding is you're definitely making some efforts there with various smallholder farmers, but you also have an aspect of sustainability that you're describing. I think I would almost call it cultural sustainability, where you've bought a company and a brand and you're revitalizing it and you're keeping, as you said, this Louisiana coffee spirit alive. So it's maybe not homogenized from some of those other large brands that we like in airports and such. But, um, <laughs> Tell us more of your thoughts on what does sustainability mean to Maison Bertrand and what you're bringing to this business? Uh, so actually, that's pretty easy. For, for me, um, if I had to pick a word, I'd probably say preservation, right? It's about preserving the history. It's about preserving the tradition. Uh, it's about preserving what's precious to those of us who are, uh, you know, dare I say, Francophiles or, you know, Louisiana files, if you will. We just really appreciate, you know, just the, the rich history behind it and what it took to get to that cup of coffee, you know, we sip today. And, and the, the precious things behind it, as you were saying about the smallholder farm, farm holders, um, I'm sorry, smallholder farms, maintaining the connection and a relationship mm -hmm. with them, uh, as well as preserving that history that we have, it kind of links everybody together. At least we think so. Uh, you know, it links our past to our present and, and hopefully, you know, we'll shine in the future. So. Mm -hmm. so my understanding is that you actually reach out to some of these smallholder farmers and work with them, purchasing their coffees and you know, certainly selling them through your stores I mean, reaching all the way across the world into Africa and maybe other places for this coffee. Is that correct? That is correct. That is correct. So uh, currently we only work with about three farms, uh, but they're all kind of intermingled and they're in the Guiji state in Ethiopia. And uh, thus far we found that those beans match our flavor perfectly. Uh, when mm -hmm. you think of 
Louisiana coffee. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, we're going off of our our taste buds. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's all we can do. We have a, a of course a formula from you know, 90 years ago, but they don't really go into much detail, you know, when it comes to Mm. what type of bean and things like that. So, you know, we had to get creative. Of course, we don't have the coffee per se. We have the recipe that they have or the formula that they have. And we also have the, uh, the flavor profile. Luckily the, the previous owners did a lot of taste research, if you will, Mm -hmm. you know, just to kind of maintain. So they've played around with beans over the years and, you know, they've, they've used Arabica beans, they've used Robusta beans and, uh, you know, from different places they've used blends, but again, we we're going for a specific taste so that way we can match, if not supersede our competition. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, that's, that's the goal ultimately yeah. in business, right. Is, yeah. is to make a good product, but also make a good product that people actually want to enjoy. And, you know, as in like the art of war, you know, the easiest way to take over somebody, uh, take over a, a, a country or a town is, you know, kind of indoctrinate them into mm-hmm. your things by throwing in pieces of what they know, you know, so. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, you know, this is a significant effort, I think, based on your passion to be reaching out to the suppliers of products. And you, you couldn't, it's frankly much easier for you. Coffee is a commodity. You literally buy it off commodity markets and probably whatever sort of range of flavors you perceive, which, you know, arguably may or may not be as good a quality as going directly to the smallholder farmers. Um, but how do you, I would say, communicate this passion and this value to consumers because these days consumers are very interested in where is their food coming from? Where are their products coming from? Are they sustainably grown? Are the people involved, you know, properly treated, these types of things. And and you're doing that, but tell us more about how you communicate that to your customers. So it's difficult. uh, And we're, we're still figuring it out. Uh, I mean, as of now, we, we, we blast it from the skies, you know, uh, we put it on all of our products where it's coming from the altitude, you know, all the data and the statistics that people want to know now, because we take so much care in making sure that all those things matter, that we want everyone to know, right? Uh, Especially with the third wave uh, coffee culture that they they have, you know, bustling at the moment, the more information about your bean, the better, right? Uh, As a chef, and I don't know if, if, a lot of people do this, but I can, I can go into a restaurant and look at a menu and read on the menu and I can almost taste what they're saying. You know, uh, the dish is supposed to taste like just from imagining how they mix the ingredients and the things that, you know, of course they're not going to put butter, you know, in there, but, (laughs) but I mean, you can imagine that, Hey, okay. I, I get a general idea. So that's the same type of feeling I want to you know, give to someone else. They can see that, you know, our beans are higher altitude, uh, grown in a higher altitude, which correlates to the sweetness, you know, and in in the particular state, they can do the research about the weather and, you know, things like that. And because we work with our farmers on contract, you know, we're making sure that they are being taken care of. You know, um, we kind of cut out the middleman. And so then that way they're they're talking directly to us and we're not having them adjust their bean in any kind of way. They are the experts in that. They've been doing this far longer than we have. So we let them do that. And then right. we do what we have to do on our side. That's an interesting point that you're bringing up. You're 
cutting out the middleman um, and not necessarily, you know, because you, you just want to cut costs or something, but because you want to acquire quality and you want to be involved with the production of your product from the beginning. Do you see benefits for the farmers also in basically you being directly connected with them? It's almost the farmer almost then has a direct connection to the end consumer. How do they feel about the whole experience? Oh, they love it because, you know, they, they get to see what their beans turn into, you know, they mm -hmm. get to see how it's being utilized, um, you know, not to mention, you know, we get to take trips, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. we get to take trips, you know, uh, across the world just to see other lands and, and experience the, the ground, you know, you know, our beans were grown on, touch the trees, you know, mm -hmm. just meet the people whose hands and hard work you know, grew these, these coffee cherries. And, you know, it's amazing. And I think, I, I hope they appreciate it as much as we do, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. but just being able to talk to them and see and hear their passion about, you know, something so simple, it's a coffee cherry, you know, yeah. you, you, you think, but there's so much work that goes into it, but just to hear that even after millennia, they're still as passionate about producing mm. a good thing. You know, mm -hmm. just from Mother Earth, that can only benefit us. You know, yeah. if we stay in touch, you know, just it helps. It helps our story. It helps. Yeah, and it's it's great. You're describing your business really as a global ecosystem, even though there's a local focus on sort of this coffee culture that you're not only preserving but expanding in Louisiana, part of that culture is sourced other places in the world, the coffee beans we're talking about now. And I, I think this maybe brings into it a discussion on the technologies that are helping to express this to your customers. And, you know, without some of the, the technologies that we often hold in our hand in the form of a smartphone, they're very, very difficult to communicate some of this. Of course, you have packaging and you're able to do that, but are you utilizing some of the these technical capabilities also to reach out to customers and really help them understand. Because when I see you talk about it, I can see in your eyes and your <laughs> expression how important this is to you. And it's very sincere and authentic. Sometimes hard to do that in a package. Do you find other ways of expressing this authenticity in your product? At the end of the day, it's marketing, right? And we're, we're trying to not only market our, our product, but we're trying to market a feeling. Right. Mm -hmm. And we connect a lot of our stuff to uh, we chose the term freedom or free. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, in Louisiana, in particularly, a lot of enslaved people uh, during the time of, you know, our, our coffee was founded or even before then, people used coffee to free themselves from slavery so much so that they would, you know, sell it in the French market in, in uh, New Orleans. And, uh, you know, they would sell pralines and, you know, all of these things until they can buy their freedom. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so we are trying to invoke that same spirit of freedom. The sipping sets you free. You know, the fact that we talk to, you know, um, our Ethiopian farmers and, you know, just to see the state of their country, you know, is, dare I say third world, it, it's not really third world, but, you know, mm -hmm. it is not as advanced, you know, it, as we think right. the Western yeah, society is, but not in a, a technological sense. They, they have all the tools that they need and are necessary for what they do. And, you know, and for them, preservation of the land is key. It just feels different, you know, over there. Mm -hmm. So communicating that to our customers, we want to invoke that feeling by making our products kind of look like 
coffee bags, you know, mm-hmm. uh, old school coffee bags. They're not even old school, but when you get the bag, the green beans, you know, you are seeing the stamp that's on there with the this country and the state that it, you know it came from and what kind of bean it is uh and so you know we we have our beans in it's a cloth bag you know that kind of has the same thing our packaging has pictures of uh enslaved people dancing in congo square you know because on sundays was one of the few days if not the only day that they could actually be free of quote-unquote mm-hmm. responsibility uh, and so they would gather in Congo Square and they would dance and, you know, have church and have fun and eat and sell things and, you know, whatever their hands crafted throughout the week, they would sell, you know, for profit, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in, in Congo Square. And so, again, that excitement, that uh, enjoyment of life is mm-hmm. what we're trying to, you know, invoke with, with every sip, with every bag, every bag sold. Uh, again, also putting all the information on the packaging, uh, yeah. letting people know the even the the look and the the our, our stuff is black and gold, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, black and gold is typical Louisiana colors. Everybody associates that that you know with our NFL team, the Saints, and you know right. it just the fleur de lis, you know all those kinds of things. All of that packaged into one mm-hmm. to hopefully give this spirit of, wow, this is truly Louisiana. Yeah. And then, but how deep does the rabbit hole go? Uh, right. I've been doing a lot of vocalization on social media, educating people uh, about our products, just about food in general, you know, giving baking mm-hmm. tips, giving cooking tips, you know, things like mm-hmm. that, just mm-hmm. to kind of attach myself to the brand, but also right. attach people to this educational portion of it. And I yeah. think that over the past couple of years, uh, post COVID and during and post COVID, mm-hmm. we've embraced this silliness aspect mm-hmm. uh, on wine. And I think people are getting more to the point where they're learning more, and they're looking for more educational content. And so with an outlook into 2022, and, and so on, I, I think that people are looking to buy from smaller companies that have a story. People are looking to learn more things online to educate themselves outside of, ooh, you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, and I I think there is certainly an increasing interest in sustainability and understanding of where food comes from. So looking back through the supply chain and companies are making that possible. I think you're also saying there's an interest in smaller companies because people feel, for good reason, much more authenticity in the people behind those companies. It's products, not just a a marketing slogan out there. It's it's really a part of somebody's life. And and people are paying for that now. Probably your company and maybe others it's a little bit of a struggle of how do you get the message out? You've got all the right content. You've done all the right work. And frankly, your passion is to make coffee and, and do bakery items, these types of things, and get it out there and build the brand. It's not necessarily a passion to build the next uh, iPhone app or something like that. <laughs> and there, therein right lies the tension of, well, how do you do the work to tell everybody what's going on when they want to consume through this device, the phone, you're just, you want to do your job. So it sounds like there's a little bit of a struggle that's paying off for you on getting out there in social media and, and telling your story. That it's needs definitely to, a learning curve. Low friction on that is best <laughs> for you. <laughs> Indeed. Excellent. Let's shift a little bit to, uh, you know, how customers are acquiring your product. One thing we've also seen and it's almost impossible to have a discussion these days without the word or acronym word COVID 
coming up. Uh, although it's been a difficult situation for food companies, it's sometimes been actually a great benefit. Obviously, some restaurants have suffered tremendously, but one thing we've learned is that people are increasingly willing to purchase their products via e-commerce online Absolutely. and have them delivered at home. And that was sort of forced upon all of us just you know, because of this situation. But how are mm. you finding, if at all, that this is shifting your business approach to reaching out to customers um, in terms of your own bricks and mortar stores, other stores where your product may exist on shelves, versus online availability? Well, I'll tell you, it had me, uh, I had to use my brain. I had to use my brain because I've been responsible for other owners' brick and mortars, uh, you know, whether it be, again, a restaurant or a hotel or a, a bakery. And I, I've even, you know, had my own uh, bakeries and it was difficult. It wasn't so much getting the customer in the door right? Because a good product will keep a customer coming in. It is about staff and mm. maintaining employees and things like that. The, the post-COVID shift made me realize not only for myself, but also, you know, my clients as, as a consultant that you have to learn how to sell out the back door to support the habit in the front. That's what I tell them, right? So imagine that you have a bakery that focuses on breads and pastries and things like that, right? The goal is to sell your product that you make in bulk, bread, uh, croissants, uh, and other pastries to other cafes and other places to contract with you. So now that's money coming in the door every single day. It's guaranteed. And now you can take a breath and a rest and go out front and sell to the customer that may come in or may not come in. Mm. You know, you, you, you're not, it's almost like white labeling it, right? right. And, and you're not tied to your product in the sense that you have to sell it to another business so that yeah. they can sell it. Their thing may not be making, you know, millions of, of different breads and millions of pastries. There's, it's coffee, you know, mm -hmm. or, you know, so in, in taking that on for myself with our company, that's what we focused on, focused on getting into grocery stores and uh, selling our coffee in bulk to cafes, uh, you know, so that they can use that as their house coffee, uh, their mm -hmm. house blend. The grocery stores, again, so, you know, we have just another option in the grocery store for us, for a consumer to pick. We're not saying that, you know, they're going to buy it, but it is allowing us to touch more hands mm -hmm. uh, and I guess get to more hands than if I were to go out and say, hey, can you buy our coffee? Or, yeah. you know, we have our, our, our sales team go out and buy or sell coffee. It's just much easier to put it in the hands of someone else. Right. Uh, they have a lot of companies out there that work with distributors. While that is fine, they they have yet to make the shift to small companies, you know, mm. so they're focusing on companies that are already in, you know, hundreds of stores and, you know, uh, nationwide or international, and they want to, you know, help you out, but they're also taking a cut, you know, right. of your profit. And while that's not a, a, a bad thing, it for <clears throat> us kind of takes it's away difficult. the authenticity. Also, and I think we've heard a lot, and this is not... A new thing, but these large distributors, large grocery chains, etc., they have tremendous purchasing authority, and I'm sure they let you know about that when you're yeah, talking to them. Yes, they do. Um, yes, they do. <laughs> that is a tremendous barrier for small, medium-sized companies, and like you said, it's not always a pleasant experience. And well, I, I think 
due respect goes to those big companies for doing what they do because we I think almost all people these days are buying some products from those large stores. It's very convenient. But what we also see developing is this uh, more decentralized distributed economy where mm -hmm. it's becoming much easier for small producers to make something and not only sell it in their hometown, like you said, if it's a great product, people are going to buy it, but maybe you need to sell it in several towns or across the nation to actually support you know, the business. Going back even 10 years ago, you really had to depend on these consolidators, if you will, these distributors that are buying your product and pushing it to the grocery stores. Whereas now you literally can go on Amazon and sell internationally. And mm -hmm. are, are you seeing that as a, that opportunity as a way that yours or other small companies are able to kind of grow up and support themselves as small businesses? I, I yes, I, I absolutely agree. Um, the one caveat to that is scalability and, mm. you know, being able to withstand the growth. And that's where a lot of small companies kind of fall off the cliff. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they're not able to handle the growth at a particular rate. You know, mm -hmm. if, if it grows too fast, they're, they're going to fall off. If they grow too slow, they're going to fall out. You know, so it, it's about finding the sweet spot. But yeah, I, I, I do agree. I, I think um, I think it has given us an opportunity to grow up, you know, in the yeah. business and, and doing it in a, in a very old fashioned and organic way, because you have more appreciation for the effort that has gone into the dollar that you received back. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and <clears throat> I wonder if there's I'm sort of just theorizing here a bit as we're yeah. discussing. <laughs> this is almost creating a new economic paradigm is allowing small businesses to do what they want and not necessarily what sort of the business school mentality would say you have to do, you grow or die. Well, mm -hmm. you know, what if you want to be a $500,000 a year business that supports you and then a couple other people? That might be difficult before unless you could satisfy a small community like your town but maybe mm -hmm. it's going to be more possible now. And I, I wonder if that allows people to run the business they want, not feel pressure to be a million this year, 10 million next year, and 20 million the year after that, but provide an authentic product. Agree. The great thing about you actually running your business and providing a good product, once it, once it catches on, it's going to catch on, man. People will definitely buy. So it you know, the, the old saying consistency is key. It, it truly is, you know, just keep at it and it will grow to, you know, innumerable heights, but mm -hmm. you have to maintain, you know, you have, you just have to maintain. And if you are the one going through all the hard stuff, you know, yeah. you're, you're, you're the one doing all the hard work, it makes you appreciate it more. And then right. again, you can, start from the bottom, right? You mm -hmm. can teach those who are now doing the job because you did it. And before mm -hmm. you hand off that job to someone else, you can actually, you know, know all the ins and outs, all the mistakes that you've made, you can now pass on to them to say, mm -hmm. hey, look, just a, a heads up, this blah, 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 blah will happen. Uh, just be ready for it. And here's what I did, you know? Mm -hmm. So, and if you have any questions, don't hesitate to come back, you know, give me a holler. Uh, just so I can help you out through the situation. And at the end of the day, that that keeps you connected to your staff, that keeps you connected mm -hmm. to your product. And you can always feel like a product is going out that you touched, even though you didn't physically touch it, right. because you've made your mark and put your stamp on the process. At the end, it, it's about standardizing the process, just as 
you know, we do with formulas and recipes in the bakery, you know, mm -hmm. um, the business world is the same. And we are, we have gotten away from that organic growth, right. you know, 90 years ago, pre, uh, what's the big names? Uh, Chase and um, the Iron Guy. Industrialists. Out yeah, there. industrialists. There you go. You know, before that, everyone was growing their business the same way, getting mm -hmm. the word out, you know, talking to as many people as they can, talking about it as much as they can. And eventually it would become a product that's been around for ages that has outlived, you know, their own human form. Mm -hmm. uh, that's all one can hope for. You know, it's it's something that outlives you. Well, and that's allows that passion you have to continue. I think you you entrepreneurs, product developers, they have this passion for what they do. And they, like you said, they want to feel like they're touching everything that goes out the door. And, and I think that's becoming more and more possible these days. Absolutely. Um, so we've learned a lot about certainly your business and your background, but also your passion for bringing special areas of sustainability into your business everywhere from the cultural sustainability and promotion of a product that is almost a century old, all the way to reaching around the world who work with smallholder farmers to bring very special coffee beans, in your case, mm -hmm. to customers in Louisiana and across the U.S. probably. What do you see for your business going into the next year or two in terms of what are you hoping to achieve in terms of growth, in terms of further sustainability efforts? What's your focus over that time? You know, worldwide fame. I'm all for that, you know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, I, I would love our product to go international. Um, and it it's about tapping into the cultures in other places to see what they are used to. You know, as I grow in the, the culinary industry, I'm realizing that all of our food is connected in some way, shape, or form. And it's only maybe one ingredient that was added that, you know, it's very similar to something on the other side, uh, you know, of the world. And so if we can find that connection, that will also help for us because we can tap into those markets, marketing as one product uh, with a similarity in uh, comparison to another. Our goal is always uh, zero waste, making sure that we are, dare I say, lessening our carbon footprint, but just our footprint in general. You know, we, we kind of want to cloud walk our way to, you know, everywhere we go. And because of that, you know, we make sure that we're either using recyclable products uh, for packaging and or being able to recycle the packaging ourselves. Mm -hmm. Now, that's not to say I'm into melting down plastic and reshaping and things like that. But, <laughs> you know, uh, we, we, we haven't gotten to compostable things, but, you know, the, the plastic that we use, uh, we do have glass products, uh, you know, that are definitely recyclable and reusable. Um, our bags, we actually, what we don't use, we send to a fashion company that upcycles, uh, you know, our bags into, you know, new and dashing clothing, you know, and other clothing accessories and fashion accessories and things like that. So um, our coffee, we, we our used grounds, we send to fertilizer companies, you know, mm. and they've, they've been used in fertilizers, they've been used in uh, scrubs, you know, for mm -hmm. the face and yes. the body and things like that. So, you know, we try to, again, use as much as we can mm -hmm. and put back into the earth that we can because our, our existence is here and possible because yeah. of you know earth yeah. so why not take care of it could be easily overlooked but i i, 
I find your response really interesting and in that um, in a very positive way, of course, and you know, thinking when asked about your future, you turn to thinking about, oh, this is what we're doing for sustainability. Um, I, I think the growth and the business expansion is implied and certainly a part of that, but I feel like we're seeing a lot more of this today with uh, entrepreneurs like yourself. It's, yes, we want a healthy business. Yes, we want to employ good people and, and work together and you know, live healthy lives, but sustain is really, sustainability is really coming, if you will, to the center of the plate. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. <laughs> and I just see more and more entrepreneurs out there planning their future the, the minimum threshold for why am I doing this business is, yeah, financial sustainability, but I'm doing it for another mission because I love the product and because we're contributing to sustainability in our own way through waste reduction, working with farmers halfway around the world, preserving cultures, et cetera. And it's amazing to see your business doing that. Well, thank you. I mean, I, I, I believe that we have to have a passion about what we do uh, or we'll not, it'll stop being fun, right? Mm -hmm. So that's fun for me. The, yeah. the fun part is being able to, you know, touch and talk to people in a language that I don't know. I, I, I wish I could say I knew uh, Amharic, but I don't, you know, <laughs> but, you know, it, it's great to be able to, you know, uh, hear it and learn words here and there and just, you know, immerse ourselves in that culture. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, it, it's also fun to be at uh, these, these, fashion shows you know gucci and louis vuitton and you know things like that and know that hey, that was a coffee bag you know what i mean you know it's yeah. just it, yeah. it's those kinds of things that are fun so we're still taking part in life and having mm -hmm. fun but yeah. in a very again i hate to overuse the word but organic way and 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 right. sustainability financial freedom of course is always the goal for everyone right. on earth right sure. But unless we figure out a way to sustain ourselves on a consistent basis, there's no way to reach that financial freedom. And so yeah. the baseline must be sustainability. The baseline yeah. must be to how do I keep myself in the game mm -hmm. with hopes to win the game? And I would say congratulations and thanks for that attitude. It is <laughs> fundamentally different than you know, a lot of business attitudes in the past. And we now, I think many, many people have this realization that you're expressing that, yes, we have to, the minimum threshold is financial freedom, as you said, but without sustainability, maybe that's, maybe we shouldn't be doing this. So thank you for that. And it's mm -hmm. an amazing business that you're running, Maison Bertrand. If you're looking for international expansion, I'm sure maybe Quebec and across Canada might be a good first stop. I'd definitely be in, enjoying the product up here where I'm sitting in Calgary. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll, we'll have to chat offline. I'll send you some, send some your way. <laughs> thank you very much for being with us today, Bert. It's been a real pleasure thank having you on the program having. and looking forward to having you back again. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. I'm looking forward to it as well. Thanks for listening to Future Foodcasts. Future Foodcasts is powered by Farm to Plate, the leading food blockchain platform. Subscribe on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts to stay up to date with the very latest innovations in the food industry. 